June. We're Hello. back. Hello. It is Becca and I here of the co-host today. Hey, Becca. Hey, Josh. How are you? And we have our wonderful, amazing intern, Jacob Orr, joining us. Hello. What's up? Hi. You're on this side of the microphone this I time. I am. How does that feel? It's so exciting. So nervous that I'm going to say something that gets me canceled. Uh, that's literally our lives. That's the best part. Yeah, I told some <laughs> friends that we were doing this subject, and I was like, who wants to bet the level of trouble we end up getting ourselves into? And they're like, we just want to listen and enjoy. <laughs> Seriously. Perfect. I know. It's. I'm very intrigued by this like mini four-part series thing we're doing on the four, I don't know, stages of the gospel story of creation, sin, or separation. I don't know what you call this one. We can also talk about that. But like sin and separation, and then, what is it? Redemption and glorification, something like that. I like it. It's been a while since I've been in seminary. Um, but Ashley, Grant, and I were like, what are we going to talk about with creation? Like, how is this going to go? And it, actually, we ended it going wow, this was amazing. <laughs> like, um, we talked about image of God. We talked about, um, obviously we got in the are people born gay question. And also how do we see our, how, do, how can we see creational intent even after the fall? Um, I think one of the hardest parts we found was like, it's hard to talk about one of the four parts by itself. Yes. They yes. all tie in necessarily. So I know and we're going like, to find that today. Yeah, especially when especially when we're thinking about like sin and redemption, like it's so difficult to not talk about the good news after you exactly. talk about the bad news. Yeah, it's yeah. very Debbie Downer to just talk about sin. <laughs> well, that's even like the way we've been editing the titles of the episodes this season because of the theme of reclaiming. We've been doing like Grant and Elizabeth on reclaiming intimacy. Reclaiming sin. Mm-hmm. I, we can't. We can't. Yeah. <laughs> only, only, only Jesus does that. We're not to. allowed to. Yeah. So this series, these four episodes, we're not putting reclaiming in the titles. It's just on sin. That's <laughs> we're right. on separation. Uh, but I'm glad to have you both here for this conversation. Um, it's gonna be. It's gonna be a good one. Uh, I mean, to start, I guess let's like define it. How would you define? sin i guess is a good place to start i feel like that's a (laughs) seminary trick question i mean i I like yeah i i mean i like the i like the sunday school answer or at least the sunday school answer i was taught of anything that we think say or do that displeases god yeah yeah the looking at the original like terms and the different words that the bible uses to describe all of those things i think the one that has always stuck with me the most is that word picture of missing the mark mm-hmm. um that god has this ideal this is what holy this is what set apart looks like and sin is not that so anything yeah. that misses that bullseye yeah yeah, one thing that we talked about in the last episode was the idea of the image of God not necessarily being something, or, I mean, it is something intrinsic in humanity, but also like a role that we are invited to act in. And yeah. it, I feel like if we take that understanding of the image of God, in a sense, the missing the mark is this idea of when we are not living into our image of God role. Exactly. Yeah. I read a quote yesterday um, from... Herman Bavink that was actually discussing that that image of God. It's not that the image of God is something that is in us, but that it is us. Like that is intrinsically what we are supposed to be doing. So anytime we're doing something that is not leaning into our image bearing and fulfilling our humanity. But that also seems really depressing too. Yeah. <laughs> I've been getting really intrigued lately by, and I wouldn't say that this is, I think the hard part is, is since there's so many complexities and aspects and all of this stuff to sin. Um, 
I've been really diving deep into the concept of sin as fragmentation. Um, mm. With the idea that if we humans were made in the image of God, made to be co-heirs with God, then that's where we find our true selves. The irony is sin many times, or the fall, has become this like pursuit of trying to define ourselves apart from God mm-hmm. and to take our destiny into our own hands. But the irony is by doing that, we leave behind our true nature and actually lose ourselves in the midst of trying to find ourselves. And so we very fragment our nature, you know, and, and break apart, you know, um, the pieces of what it means to be ourselves. But I, it's been an area that I, I don't, I don't know. I've been delving more into a little bit. Yeah, that's, it's been a kind of journey for me into and out of and re-examining historical reformed theology. Like that's not what I grew up with. Uh And then that's what I was exposed to. And really, I think I wanted to embrace when I was in seminary in the first few years out doing ministry and teaching. But for me, seeing that whole everything that's not this one mark is sin makes it seem like sin is so overwhelming and pleasing God is so mm. unachievable mm. that it I began losing the idea of being in relationship with God. And that mm. that whole thinking made the focus more on sin and trying not to sin as opposed to developing a relationship with the father. And the emphasis was just off for me. So it's like, I can, I can repeat, here's what it means. It's missing the mark. It's anything that's not doing this, but that is again, denying the relational aspect of who we are as image bearers with God. Um, Hmm. And I don't know so much that it's wrong as much as it's not the emphasis that I need to be focused on as far as the person that God created me to be. If I stay focused on that sort of stuff, it is not a good thing for me. It doesn't help me seek holiness. It doesn't help me embrace relationship with God. It doesn't, it's just a different perspective that I don't know is necessarily helpful for me. So this is a a timely conversation for me just because it's something that I've been revisiting the last couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. Jacob, any thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I've been like, I'm very much knee deep in the reform tradition. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not knee deep, maybe like thigh deep. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But uh, wait, no, that's going up. I meant to go down. (laughs) Uh, Calf deep. (laughs) You're you're, you're waiting ankle deep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Calf deep. Um, but so like the whole idea of like everything being tainted by sin is something that like definitely resonates with me, but I've also been thinking about like, I've been trying to think about, and I know this is getting into redemption, (laughs) so sorry, um, but, um, thinking about like if part of what the gospel is if part of what the gospel is designed to do is to redeem everything that was broken by sin then that like that also means that like we're redeeming the whole of creation uh like uh Be- becca was m- mentioning uh, herman bovink earlier and i was reading something from him earlier as well where he said um that um that all that incent or that because sin has affected everything we need everything to be redeemed by jesus um and so like even just looking forward to like okay so what does it mean that like creation has been broken by sin Mm. you know like what does it mean that i look outside and there's a tree and that tree has been affected by sin. What does that mean? But also, what does it mean that, like, Jesus is going to redeem that at some point? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was one point that I had brought up in our last episode that was really funny. It came to me while we were recording and I was like, huh, I never actually thought on this. We'll need to process this a little bit more. But it was like (laughs) when we get into the idea of like, are people born gay or like, you know, the questions of like what Greg Cole's, you know, pondered in Single Gay Christian about like, would gay people, if we had never fallen, be straight or would be be something else and I was like, I, I feel like our world has intermingled with the fall so much that you can't really separate now what would have been because, and it also takes away the idea of how God works in the midst of a fallen world. Yeah. It's also, and just, like, bad, it's also just bad theology. Like, yeah. Giving, like, there's no doctrine that we have that's based off of only two chapters of scripture. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Nothing. Like we only have two chapters of biblical data to, uh, to, to say what it was like pre-fall. Yeah, and people forget that looking at straightness after the fall, as if being straight has not been marred by mm-hmm. sin, like we wouldn't be straight in the traditional broken human post sin idea because that is marred and broken by sin so yeah yeah, i mean it's kind of a a moot point to me that yeah yeah straightness wouldn't look like it does now before the fall yeah okay so another question for you both because i think that this is another one that kind of ponders when we get on these conversations of sin is i feel like there's this tension point that happens in conversations around sin. Um, We just definitely feel it, I think, in our conversation of side B, of sin and shame, and how these two things play together. Um, And also how many times, there can many times feel this tension that in order to um, affirm, I don't know, depravity of humanity or the sinfulness of humanity or whatever kind of nuance there you want to go with the sin, the the reality of the fall, we kind of need to make humans out to be scumbags, basically okay. worth nothing. Yeah. But then you have on the opposite side of it that when we have the desire to affirm the dignity of humanity, we want to downplay sin. We want to make it as if people basically don't do anything wrong and they just make some small mistakes when we forget that we do really awful things. So there becomes this tension, I feel, of like the way that sin and the way we talk about it builds shame. How do we do that while honestly reckoning the reality of what humans can do? I don't know. Would love to hear your guys' thoughts on that because I think that that obviously plays into the side B conversation where we're really affirming the dignity of queer people and conservatives see that as saying we don't believe in sin. And also on the opposite side of, I would say, more liberal kind of critics going simply because we still hold to a traditional view that we don't dignify queer people. Right. I don't know. That area. How do you guys engage with that? Go for it, Jacob, if you've got Jacob, something. I can tell you're like, dang, yeah. why didn't we get these questions ahead of time? <laughs> I'm, 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 like, I'm like processing. I'm like, think, I'm trying to think while you're, while you're going. Um, man. Right, it's hard, though. Because, uh, like... I mean, I, I almost want to just, like... You, I almost just want to use the Holy Spirit as a cop out and say that we just have to depend on the Spirit here. <laughs> yeah, uh, depending on the Spirit feels like a good a good place to land, um, but um, right, like, because at the end of the day, right, like what we believe about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin, but is also the comforter. Like those are mm. two two roles that the Holy Spirit's given. Um, yeah, in scripture, uh, those are the, those are like two, I mean, yeah, it's all over the place of like, the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the paraclete, but also is going to like convict the world of sin, uh, Jesus tells us in John. So, um, yeah, like there's, there's going to be a, uh, 
it's almost like um i think greg johnson talked about this in some call that i was on with him <laughs> um greg i but i remember greg saying like you know we always want to listen to the like what's the voice of the spirit is the like the voice of because the voice of the enemy is going to be one that says you like you're terrible you're um you know you've messed up whatever whatever but then the but the voice of the father the voice of our big brother jesus is going to be like no like you're loved like mm. come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and i'll give you rest like the so i guess the i guess that's a long-winded way of saying like i guess like when we talk about sin it all it almost needs to be an invitation to come to god rather than an invitation to like retreat into ourselves and say oh look at how terrible i am but instead say hey this is what jesus has done for us and like let's go to god instead mm. And that's what you you hope in an ideal situation. Like I've I shared this with some friends uh, a couple of weeks ago, just talking about how much I have learned about my relationship with God since becoming a parent. That with adoption, we we talk about that doctrine of adoption a lot and what that looks like, having been separated mm -hmm. because of sin, but being redeemed through adoption. That even though like my kids are adopted and when they have, even though they are very, they know their name, they know their family, they know all of those things with the head knowledge. There are still times that they are like, you know, are you always going to love me? Like they, they still check in because they are unsure sometimes, but in their attempts to, make sure they really are Masons. They don't go out and leave from me and go do a bunch of things they think Masons do in order to prove that they are Masons. They come to me and they, they ask me and they look for that reassurance from me or from their grandparents or from whoever. And remembering that as a child of God, that when I doubt when I question, when I am more focused on the fallenness of myself. And I think, am I really get, like, God, are you sure about this? That his desire is not for me to go out and prove that I'm his child. His desire is for me to come to him and let him confirm that in yes. me. And there's a, a passage um, that I'm working through for, uh, the keynote for the Revoice Conference this year, this verse that I've just, I keep coming back to it, that I've read so many times, but it's not hit me the way it has the last month or so. Um, in Colossians 3, it says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And like just sitting and meditating on that, that, that tension of, the both and and the now and the not yet and the fact that we are living in that place of we are dead to sin mm -hmm. while at the same time we are alive and like what does that look like how do we live in that so like we've talked about trying to parse out what does what does sin mean in this creation sin redemption kind of picture is that I don't think we're really meant to kind of parse it out and just sit around and talk about the sin aspect of things. Um, because yeah, that's part of it, but that's this like one time thing. Yeah. We're dead. All right. Yeah. We, we are sinful. Every part of our existence is impacted by brokenness. It's not inherently sinful itself, but it's impacted by it. But what do we have as this promise in redemption? And there's a lot to discuss with sin and the fall and how that has affected our relationships with one another and our relationships with God. But ultimately, I don't think we're really meant to, as believers at least, dwell 
in that um, because that's that's not where God wants us to rest. He wants us to rest in that understanding yeah. of who we are with him. I mean, do you even see that in, do you even see that in the ministry of Jesus, right? Like, I, I know it's probably not original, but like the woman caught in adultery or the, uh, like, like Jesus doesn't lessen what Moses says. He doesn't lessen like what the law says. He still calls it sin, but he also says, now just go and sin no more. Yeah. Um, you know, like he's inviting her into relationship. Um, yeah. and even like what, um, what Paul will say, like Paul's whole thing is like, like we're not, we're like laying aside what used to be, uh, what used to be true of us. And now we're like put pressing forward to like what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I think that it, it plays into that whole thing of shame. Yeah. Calls us into hiding. It's, it's this understanding of like shame is a natural product of sin. I don't think shame is always felt by the person who committed the sin. I think that's therefore why, you know, victims feel shame, all of these kinds of things. I was even doing a little bit of a study in Genesis three on the intriguing aspect that the sin that Adam and Eve commit is eating the fruit, but what they feel shame about is their nakedness. They don't feel it about the fruit. They feel it about being naked, something that God actually created them as but that's not where the origin of the sin was and it causes them to hide. And like reading in Genesis three or John three, when Jesus is like the, the gospel brings light. It's like what you were talking about, Becca, like it makes us want to sit in this and just be there. But then like God want and, and either try to achieve more or to be better doing things out of our own, you know, actions but like jesus just simply calls us to come into the light as ourselves you know god saying where are you to adam and eve um there's this like draw just to vulnerability that god calls us to of being his children um and i think then the hard part is in that is like the way that i feel like church and culture address this are so sad because in churches we get to behavior modification right we go to don't don't do bad things but we never get to the heart of what draws us there you know like why why am i pulling in a direction other than god and culture just wants to say you're not doing bad things right (laughs) so you're fine so don't feel shame but then you're not dealing with the core of what's actually bringing up the shame you're just pretending that you're not feeling shame or hiding it. Um, and obviously this affects queer people in in how we're addressed in, in all of these things. But I, I do really love, Becca, what you were saying about, like, we're not meant to sit in this. We're not meant to, like, just hone in on this question. We're meant to look at the positive, not like, hey, how do I not do bad things, but how do I live into what God has called me into? Right. Because that focus of how do I not do bad things, like uh, coming from a very conservative evangelical culture, like behavior modification is a lot of where we start discipleship. All right. Now you've asked Jesus into your heart. What is the list of things you got to stop doing or what's the things you got to start doing? And that is cognitive behavioral therapy, which last I checked most really conservative evangelical people don't like <laughs> psychological babble talk. Woo. But that's exactly what that yeah. is. We have integrated CBT into church and called it discipleship. Yeah. And it's putting the focus on the wrong thing. We don't need to be modifying or controlling behavior. We need to be introducing people to Jesus who always built relationship first and then the behavior modification came out of that. 
and we have it backwards. And that's yeah. where I think a lot of that shame comes from is, well, I say I trust Jesus, but I'm still doing X, Y, and Z. And therefore, I my relationship with Jesus has to stop until I get this in order. Well, that's a recipe for shame-filled disaster. And it's just, it's not successful in the long run. And I think that's like big picture side B conversation. I think that's why a lot of people feel that side B is not sustainable in the long run for them is that it's set up as behavior modification as opposed mm -hmm. to loving Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any thoughts there from you? Yeah. I mean, kind of piggybacking off of what Becca said, like, I mean, just thinking about in my own life, like, um, like I felt the most shame whenever it was just, whenever it, it was just, oh man, I'm in Bible college. I shouldn't still be struggling with this. <laughs> like, oh, I'm in seminary. I shouldn't still be st struggling with this. Like I've been a Christian for how long and this is still an issue. Like those have been the, and those have been also the places where Jesus has probably met me the closest of like, yeah. of like, Hey, like, since when since when was like sanctification like i mean since when did was it uh like you had to reach certain milestones by like certain dates you know mm -hmm. like um whenever like i'm trying to invite you into just being with me mm. And how false and fake would a relationship seem if we did that in our human relationships? Like yeah. I initially, I mean, Josh, you're a really cool guy, but in order for us to become better friends, you need to do these things in the next six months or man, it's over. It's I done. mean, then it stops being relationship. It's just transaction. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's been one of the things as I've been, um, I've been pursuing to get, my certificate like sort of certificate in spiritual direction um and i one of the things i really love that um i've been kind of studying in that is this practice of allowing yourself in your shame and vulnerability to imagine yourself sitting in the presence of god yeah and just like making that a focus of centered prayer mm -hmm. of like taking an taking a period of time in your life when you felt the most shame or a situation or a context or maybe an area of your life. I don't know. Like, you know, um, and imagining that self, that you just sitting in God's presence and allowing that to be it. That's it. You're not changing it. You're not changing that context. You're not washing that, that person. There's just a presence. Um, and allowing the presence of God to be enough. I, it's been very intriguing for me because I do agree with you, Becca. Like there's, there's an aspect that if we're not careful of it, side B can easily become behavior modification as well because it can fall into the same traps. And even the way I've tried to start addressing celibacy, I feel like we've, we've, we've made celibacy this like really square box. Like you're either in it or you're not depending on like your behaviors. Right. And it doesn't allow for the space of like, for instance, a person who has been sexually active moving into celibacy, that's not like a switch you just turn off. Like there's a lot of things that are processed and mourned and, and like, and um, my, my counselor and I were, he, he had given me a term. It's a psychological term, but I'll take it. It's called dialectical abstinence. And yes. like, they use it in, in like, you know, drug addiction and all this stuff of like admitting that you're going to make mistakes going forward, but let's just see how we can move into greater abstinence on, you know, whether it's drug and all. And I think that for me, while that's a psychological term, I found that to be a very spiritual like term as well in the understanding of the very concept of redemption is the idea that it's not based on us at all. Yeah. And you're going to screw up. That is just a fact you will screw it up. Um, and so rather than that, why don't we focus on like the transformation inwardly? Um, 
of my heart and being able to be in the presence of God. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, there's there's something there that just completely removes you of the pressure of behavior modification or like the shame that is connected to those things. Um, yeah, because we don't we don't hold ourselves to that standard of absolute abstinence from sin for really any other sin struggle that humanity has. Like there are these login kind of ways that we look at it of, well, I'm going to plug into this thing, but I'm not going to worry about this. And so we hyper-focus on if I'm going to do this, it must be all or nothing. But I've never once looked at my struggles with pride or me losing my temper with my kids or being just really angry with God about how finite I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like that is the, the besetting struggling sin right now is I am just real angry with God that I have limitations. Yeah. And I've never thought, well, until I completely am done with that and can rest confidently in the limitations of my humanity, then I haven't worked on that sin. Like that sounds odd to us, mm -hmm. but it's the only acceptable way any of us have seen looking at sexual sin or other sorts of things. It's an, it's an all or nothing sort of place. And so we don't allow people the room to work through what do I do when this happens and not if for a lot of people it's when this happens how how do how do i move from this is a compulsion addiction it is a physical thing for a lot of people to i'm not doing that as much to i would rather not do it but it still happens to this is how long i actually have been abstinent from whatever it might be we don't allow for the the process and i think that's where a lot of of shame comes up and why a lot of people don't ever bother attempting to allow God to sanctify those specific areas of their life is there. They think this is going to be a process and there's not room for a process. So I'm just not even yeah. going to bother. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I think that like, it's, it's this idea of when we think of celibacy and it's just, for me, it's, it's, you're exactly right. It's the way we approach everything else in our spiritual lives. Yeah. We don't do it here. Because we just want it to be an off switch and then you're done and like now you're celibate. And but then I'm like, but what growth is there after that? You just yeah. stop having sex and that's it. That doesn't really sound like a virtue. Yeah. Like that doesn't sound like something to, that you pursue. It just sounds like something you turn on or off. Whereas being able to allow people to be curious, even in the mistakes of like, hmm, what, how, how did I get here? Like what led me here? Like what, how did I go in this way? And also like, when I'm not having sex, like, how am I engaging with people differently? How am I looking at people differently? How am I, what does that say in my non-sexual lives? I don't know. I just, I, I think that there's so much more room for holistic growth in our sexuality yeah. that actually we don't get in those other part, like in other, in that model that's so prevalent in our churches. So wait, Josh, are you are you saying that we need to walk more into a vocation of yes, not into a vocation of no? <gasps> oh, Whoa! Oh my gosh! What? <laughs> Eve um, Tushnet, hello. Yes, hello. Um, no, that makes well, and like I even think for like ministry leaders specifically, like the you know, there's no other. Um, like if, if someone comes to you and, and says, oh, I'm struggling with X, Y, or Z, like no one else is going to, like, you're not going, you would be offering terrible pastoral care if your response to them was just, we'll just stop it. Um, exactly. You know, ju just turn it off. Um, <laughs> There's like a, a reason that new heart skit is funny, is that just stop it is actually terrible. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason Terrible why there, advice. Yeah. There's, a re there's a reason that Book of Mormon is a uh, is a comedy musical with that song. Oh my God. Turn, <laughs> um, <laughs> turn it off is so good.
I if anyone, I'm gonna put a link to that song in this description. It's it's kind of in my. It may or may not be in my gym playlist. <laughs> Please, um, yeah, <laughs> that um, needs to be in the show notes for sure. I'm I'm not. Uh, I will neither confirm nor deny that that song's in my gym playlist. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but but no, like we're you know that would be considered terrible pastoral care. Yet, like I know from like for me at least, I'm not gonna speak for everyone else. Like. I, that's a daily battle that I have to fight with Jesus of like, not doing that to myself of saying like, oh, that's right. Because then I get into shame spirals of like, well, I'm not measuring up and I'm not doing this well. And like, that's something that me and my spiritual director talk about fairly regularly is shame. And yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally get that. And I think what's frustrating for me is like many times it'll be things that I'm like, I've already dealt with this. Like, why is this still coming up more? And and it's like you said, looking into the positive of how do I live more into what God has called me into while making space that this will be a lifetime journey. Right. Like there is no end result before death, you know, kind of thing. Like I will always be growing. I will always be failing. Um, and then, you know, the biggest question when people come to me when I'm giving direction to someone, especially a queer person, um, whatever it is, like, especially if they come to me and say, Hey, I've, I have operated in my sexuality in ways that go against my convictions kind of thing. Um, my first question always to them, and this goes back to the thing about feeling the presence of God. How do you see Jesus present with you in this moment? Like, where is Jesus present now in the depths? Because I, I think it goes back to that Psalm 139 of like, uh, even when I'm, you know, rise up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Like, before we ever get to acknowledging that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, we have to acknowledge that God is present in the depths with, with us. Because if we yeah. don't get to that verse, we won't get to the fearfully and wonderfully made verse. Right. Um. And oh, so, that's good. Say that again. <laughs> and, and like, I'll say it again. Goodness. Unless we get on in Psalm 139, unless we get to the God is in the depths of our situation with us, we will never get to the fearfully and wonderfully made verse. That'll what preach. Is, what does that and what does that say about Jesus? Right, like God and, and flesh. Like yeah, Jesus, Jesus coming to us. Yeah, like God, God Himself coming to us in in flesh, like not yeah. just like ethereally but like in flesh coming to us yeah i mean like and for me like one of the ways that i experienced this really profoundly in my own life i know i mentioned this in the episode we did last season with paulo but um you know because because of having formerly been affirming and then i did that whole thing that we've seen so many people who went from side a to more traditional leaning you know cut everything out nothing of gay culture can exist in your life because it all connects to your previous life Mm -hmm. so i understand um, I won't name people, but I understand why people take that approach. <laughs> yes. Um, when I wanted to engage more in queer culture again, it was very hard for me to go into spaces like a gay club because I felt like in order to go there, I had to like wipe my eyes of all of the kind of unhealth and things that also occur there. I, I'm like, I don't care what position you take theologically. There is unhealth in clubs. I'm sorry. There's, there is. But um I did a I did an experience where I went to a gay club and I sat there at the bar and I just imagined I just spent time imagining every person the the dignity that they have as the image of God and God being present in that moment even as I saw people having sex in the corner even as I saw drugs being dealt in area inappropriate things happening all over the place I just tried to sit and imagine God's presence being there and it didn't make the club morally good but it made god's presence ever invasive yeah and i think for me that was really helpful to allow myself to clear shame in order to god for god to get into those you know places that i really never let god into of my own heart um and I think those are the practices that we don't really do in the church of like yeah. 
you know, of how, how do you allow God to sit in your shame? Yeah. And it really is how do we acknowledge that he is already sitting with us in our shame? Yeah. But because like that practice is to make us aware of a reality that already exists. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that that we we forget that sometimes that he is in the muck and the mire and is with us. And, you know, I remember somebody saying that talking about just a situation someone was in that was just dire and horrible and everything that we would like think about being stereotypical in the depths of sin and despair and saying, and yet I know that Jesus was there with them in that situation, weeping with them over it, but he was there nonetheless. And if Mm. there's no faster way to kill shame than realizing the truth and reality of the fact that we aren't inviting Jesus into something that he hadn't already been a part of. Like yeah. he, he was there in it watching and not in a, not in like a, a creepy stalker. Or I'm going to catch you in your sin, but in a, please don't do this. I love you and know what this is going to do to you. Loving relationship aspect And the more that we can see and understand that he is with us in that time, the the more for me personally, I'm like, well, for starters, I don't want to be the one taking Jesus into a situation like that in sort of a a shallow kind of like, here's my preschool understanding of, well, if Jesus is in my heart, I don't want to take Jesus into X, (laughs) Y, and Z situation. I mean, Paul commands that in 1 Corinthians. You're fine. Exactly, right? (laughs) Like Like, that's where where we get. And I know that during my Sidex phase, I I talk about my different phases of like wanting to be completely rid of all of those things. That was the mindset I had of, well, Jesus is in me and I don't want to take him into that. So I must refrain as if he's not already there. (laughs) Like he is in that he is, we are image bearers. That is not something that is destroyed by the fall. And even those who are not believers, who are not made alive in Christ, who are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit are still image bearers of a holy God. And in that club situation sitting at the bar seeing all of humanity being human there is still that god presence there saying what what do i do to help you see that this is not who you were created to be and sometimes simply being a presence in situations like that can make ourselves aware of how much the Holy Spirit is with us, but how much he desperately wants to be in the lives of those people and more active in our own lives so that it's not an us them situation. It's a, we are all humanity with inherent dignity as image bearers. They are not some people to be, lorded over or it it gets us back to that foundational understanding that at the most primary place as humans we are human beings created in the image of god and sometimes we have to be in situations like that in order to remember that it's not anything that we do that somehow sets us apart as different within humanity and that god doesn't I don't think that God sees us that way other than his children and people who were created to be his children. Yeah. And I think we forget that perspective a lot of times. Yeah. I know I do. Jacob, any thoughts? No, <laughs> yeah, I think I got it. I, I did want to, I did want to circle back to one thing that yeah. you said earlier about like it being a journey uh, about like everything being, you know, I think it's significant that, um, like, the New Testament specifically, and, like, 
now I'm trying to like run through the Bible, the New Testament in my head to figure out if this is the entire New Testament or just Hebrews. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'll just say Hebrews because it's the one I know okay. the best. Uh, like, I find it significant that like Hebrews um, paints like our the Christian life as the New Exodus, right? Like, um, you know, where we are out of Egypt. But and we're 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 on we're on the road to the new Jerusalem, and like I don't know that in the wilderness kind of concept um, is like I find really significant from just like a spiritual from like my own spiritual health kind of like okay like in the same way that Israel. Um, through lots of twists and turns, <laughs> uh, made it to the promised land. Like, so, like, this one day I'm going to make it to the promised land too, led by that same Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's I, there's a beautiful thing about the story of the Torah. The very fact that the entire story of the Torah is this thing about the promised land. And in the entire Torah, they never get to the promised land. Yeah. There's just this idea of seeing the promised land. They're right on the cusp of it, but they're not completely there. Obviously, then we have Joshua, but like, you know, when we see the Torah as a whole thing, it gives us this hope, you know, like this ever drawing nearer, you know, towards it. And I mean, obviously, yeah, you're right. Hebrews is like playing on this so much, which is like how we're looking towards that and in, in our own lives and, and, and Becca, what you were saying, I think it's such a big thing, especially after you walk through faith a, so long in a while, you forget that there's still more growth to go in your own life. Yeah. And then you look at other people and go, oh, gosh, I feel bad for them. <laughs> <laughs> I do it. Um, yep. And, you know, I, I went on a trip not long ago with a bunch of like non-Christian gay friends and there was a lot of just, you know, um, masking trauma with different substances and all these kinds of things. And I love them all. And, and it was, it was easy to allow myself to get into a judgmental place, but then also God, it bringing up the, the situation, bringing up unhealth in my own life and it allowing to be a moment of God going, you're still growing. Yeah. Like, calm sit down that's right (laughs) um we want sanctification to be this like straight line of growth and we talk about shame spiraling but a lot of times it's really the other way around i mean sanctification is really an upward spiral that we keep revisiting the same things over and over and over again to a deeper level to more clarity like, I don't know that we ever put any one sin struggle to bed as if, oh, in this life, I conquered that one. And like, it's a checklist. Um, I mean, I've been doing this whole walk with Jesus thing for a while now. And that's like, just now realizing, oh, like, there are none of these things. I get to just check off my list of like, well, we're done with that one. That's just Wait. not humanity. I, I was really looking forward to today when I got to check some stuff off <laughs> off my list. It ain't happening. You're, you're, crushing my, you're crushing my hopes and dreams here, Becca. I know. My Greek professor in seminary, I'll remember one of the first couple of classes we had of him weeping in front of us. I mean, getting choked up, talking about the fact that the older he got and the longer he walked the Christian life, the harder it was. Yeah. Not because there were more sins that he was entangled in, but just that he realized there was so much depth to the human experience. And the more he realized that he fell short of what he wanted to be because he loved Jesus so much and how he felt that he was falling short, not in a legalistic way, but in a, I so want to live my life in a manner that shows people who Jesus is. And I recognize that that's not going to happen. And as like a 25 year old, I looked at him thinking, 
dude, you are doing this Christian life wrong if it's harder for you now at 60 than it was when you first started 40 years ago. But now that I'm halfway in between that 25 and 60, I'm just now starting to say, oh, okay. So I, I get I get what he means by that, that it's not harder as in a greater struggle to overcome sin because the, I mean, that goes back to your cognitive behavioral therapy. The longer you don't do something, the harder it would be to go back to it because you've changed your habits and your life and your behaviors. But the difficulty of being disappointed with yourself as far as recognizing there is nothing that you finalize and like yeah. there's no aspect of glorification occurs in this life. Mm-hmm. That sanctification is a consistent issue until we reach glorification that does not happen in yeah. this life. And and I also think that it's like, I feel like for me and my journey, it's been a realization of the tangled web of the fall Yeah, that we are all caught into that me acknowledging my core desires, my core hurts, the ways that people have sinned against me, the ways that generational sins have developed in yes. us as a society, the way that they have built systems, the way that we all are intertwined. Like, I can't speak of my own sin. And I think this is what, like, the gospel writers are getting at when they talk about we are all products of Adam and Eve and like where all of this comes from. It's this idea that like we were born to people who have lived for generations in a world that is the product of people who have done really awful things that have broken up in broken homes that have broken up in egotistical with egotistical parents with um like corrupt systems all of these kinds of things and then we want to talk about just stop lying and stop having sex and it's like this is complex and as i mourn the ways that other people's sins have impacted my life in ways that i didn't even realize because i was a child And the ways that then I impacted other people by the sins that I've committed that I didn't even know at the time I was doing. And the ways that then getting into the heart of it, of what draws me to things that are really just meaningless when actually they could be truly satisfied in Christ. Yeah. And like, um, and the way that shame blocks me from even examining that. And I think that like that realization, I totally get that because you just get to this place. You're like, wow, it's just all this interwoven thing that then you understand the hopelessness there is without Jesus. Cause you're just like, that's all. That's the only hope there is, is right. like Jesus. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. St. Saint Augustine talks about like the, the, um, like sin, sin being a deprivation of the good of like sin being so like, all sin is is a is a corruption of some original good thing and like even recognizing like our desires for good things can still be corrupted by sin yeah you know like i mean we see jesus talk about this in the sermon on the mount right like you you pray in public which is a good thing but you you're praying to be seen and like that's the the sin behind the virtue (laughs) right (laughs) um and like, I don't know, like, I feel like recently that's been something that I've been having to like come to terms with is like, no, I can still like, I can be doing really good and holy things, but for really bad sinful motives. Yeah. Yeah. And like asking the Lord to just like change that in me. Yeah. And, and I know that. Like I, I can tend to be a very all or nothing sort of person. And in, in my younger days, that was more of the idea. Like, I think if I had come to this realization of we, we aren't going to like sanctification is occurring until we die in all aspects of our life. If I had realized that in my earlier mid twenties, I think there's a good possibility that I would have been like, well, what's the point? And just kind of 
given up on it and walked away from it. And I think that that's part of like God's grace, even in how he reveals his sinfulness to us and when he reveals it to us of, I didn't have that realization in my twenties. I've had it more in my late thirties and early forties of this is the road, but I've already been walking on the road for so long. And I have seen the beauty and the benefits of being faithful to Jesus that it's like, I'm, I'm willing to continue this into the long haul because I know that it's worth it. Um, not because I'm going to conquer all my sin because that's still very me focused, but it's worth it because I have, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Mm-hmm. And that because it has become a relational thing as opposed to a behavior modification thing and recognizing the fact in not a heretical way. This will be the statement that will get me in trouble for this episode. That if, that if for some reason I was like, you know what? Screw all this. I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. And walked away, made some grand announcement. I'm going to go find me a wife that, that my behavior would not change God's love for me. Mm -hmm. But because I realized that now I'm like, so why would I want to do that when I have this secure, never-changing, agape, hesed, covenant, committed? I say that that's what I would want in a relationship with a person, but daggum, I've already got it. So like what, (laughs) you know, and seeing that realization because it's built in relationship, it's not built in behavior modification. So it is the relationship that wants to keep me from sin, not the fact that I have a checklist that I think that I need to complete before I die or Jesus comes back. Um, Yeah, like that, that understanding of, so what if I threw it all away? What if I decided to be the prodigal son and, you know, go sleep with the pigs? God is still God. Like my changing doesn't change who God is, but that understanding now doesn't push me towards a license of sin. It pushes me towards a greater love and appreciation for the love that the father has for me. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And I, I, I'm just, that's been, honestly, you really touched on it. We've, we've talked about it a bit here, but if I wanted to have, everyone take one thing away from this and from my experience of engaging with this concept of sin and shame and how do we you know deal with all of this stuff it's that we will get nowhere by behavior modification right nowhere i've learned it just doesn't (laughs) do anything beyond like take care of the like symptoms (laughs) of stuff whereas if i focus on as you said the relational aspect or like the presence of god in my life where i am as i am um that that is where christ can touch the core of me allow me to see the dignity that i have as an image bearer as his child as well as to see the ways that my heart has been touched by living in a fallen world both by the people around me, by my own self and all of these things and be able to heal those parts so that I can not only know God more, but I also think know myself more. I feel like I've know myself more now and who God has made me to be through the process. And that's what I talk about. Like if sin is, as I talked about at the beginning, if sin is the concept of fragmentation, I like to think of the process of spiritual, like sanctification as integration, integrating yeah. ourselves, integrating God, all of these things together. Yeah. Like it's not old framework used to be that I have to get rid of this thing in order to strengthen my relationship with God. And what I have understood in the last decade is that the more that I understand this is a part of who I am, that is also something that Jesus reigns over Mm -hmm. that I have integrated who I am wholly as a person 
And Jesus has got it all. Like he's not freaked out by it. He doesn't make him uncomfortable. Yes, yes, it doesn't yes, gross yes, him out. Yes. He is not ashamed to call me his sibling. God is not ashamed to call me his child. Then it's like, what is the, you know, why, why do I need to focus on changing that so much? Like they've got it. Yeah. It's, it's cool. It, so yeah, yes. that, that aspect of shame is just demolished when you understand that you can integrate your sexuality, you can integrate your understanding of your gender and your perspective. When you see those things as something that this is a part of the person that God created as his image bearer, which means he knows it's there, he can do something with it. How about I let him as opposed to trying to amputate this part of my humanity that I think makes me less of an image bearer? Instead of taking the whole self to him and saying, do what you want, it, it doesn't make much sense to like cut your arm off and then go to the doctor and be like, listen, my, my elbow's giving me real trouble. So I went ahead and cut my whole arm off. What can you do with this? Like that doesn't yeah. make any sense, you know? Yeah. And I think that I did that for a lot of years. Let me let me take care of myself in some big, drastic way. And then when I get it manageable, I'll bring it to Jesus. And he's like, mm. uh, that's backwards. Yeah, exactly. And it's just not sustainable. No, like, not at all sustainable. Like our... Uh, right, because at, at some point, you know, we're going we're gonna to mess up. And, yeah. uh, you know, like... Yeah, and like the whole thing's gonna come come crumbling to the ground, <laughs> right? Right, like, uh, it's a it's a deck of cards. It's a it's a deck of cards, or it's a tower of cards, or a Jenga tower that like one wrong move and the whole tower comes crumbling down. Whenever we've built it on our yeah. own work, but yet yeah. like Jesus is offering us like, no, like you you walk with me, like, um. I love the way that um, Eugene Peterson translates that passage mm. in Matthew. Mm-hmm. Uh, that come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Like he he says, um, Eugene Peterson will tra- or translates it as. Uh, um, I could just pull it up. So <laughs> ho- hold up, I'm not going to try to butcher it. it. I'm going to. That's right. Um, Eugene deserves to be directly quoted. Right. Um, Let's see here. Does your seminary allow you to have the message on your Bible app? I, I figured that's I figured that's something they might check for. If they, well, there's there's other students that need to check on before they check on me. Um, <laughs> and the Christian nationalism and the Christian nationalism brother. that they have. Amen. They're they're. There's their ongoing struggle with Christian nationalism should get them in trouble. Not my ongoing. <laughs> anyway, sexuality. They're they're uh, anyway. <laughs> um, uh, Eugene Peterson quotes: uh, "Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace." I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Like just that, just that idea of us being with Jesus is what is like is him. Um, yeah, like showing us how to actually like live a good and true life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, read that one part about the what was it the unfettered rhythms of grace or the, the unforced rhythm? rhythms of grace. Unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. It's so beautiful. That. Yeah. It's it's been my Instagram bio or my Twitter bio for a while now. That's great. I, <laughs> I think that. it um because of like I just love that that like image. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's a perfect stopping point. I think we've complete I think we've <laughs> That was ended on scripture. I like it. Um, yeah, I hope that there's stuff everyone can take from this. And as we go through these, you know, that um, sin is not the end point. And 
shame is not where we're meant to live. Yeah. Amen. And yeah, so. Jesus, Jesus wants us to come to him even in our mm-hmm. sin. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Cause the, the only people that Jesus came to save was burnt, was uh, dirty, rotten sinners. That's yeah. right. It's the, it's the people who had it all figured out that he didn't want. <laughs> yeah. And he reveals to them that actually they have dignity as image bearers, the crazy reversal of the gospel. Well, thank you both for joining us, like, like for having this conversation. Jacob, we're so glad to actually have you on the podcast. Yes, I thank know. you. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you later. Take care. Bye. Bye.